Welcome to Hoops Royalty, a Memphis Grizzlies podcast. I'm King Jemison, alongside, as always, my guy, Karna Vankatraj. And Karna, it's a quiet part of the offseason for the Grizzlies, but we've still got a fantastic episode for y'all today. We'll start with the Royal Decree, which is, for those first-time listeners, a hot take about something in the Grizzlies universe. And we've got a couple fun ones for you today in that section. Then it'll be time for News of the Realm, where we'll be getting into Jaron Jackson Jr. and Santi Aldama's starts to their FIBA seasons with the USA Basketball Showcase and now a showcase in Spain as well. So we do have actual basketball to talk about. And then we're going to be responding to the NBA.com power ranking that put the Grizzlies at seventh in the West after they finished second each of the past two seasons and ostensibly got better this offseason. Anyways, we'll be rolling out our own power rankings. And uh, spoiler alert, in my rankings, the Grizzlies won't be seventh. And then we'll finish up the episode, as always, with the King's Court, a lively debate between the two of us. We agree on a lot, but usually not on sports takes, so that'll be fun. And this time, we'll be debating the all-time Grizzlies starting five, getting into some Memphis history in a way we haven't before. So that'll be a fun one. But now, Karna, before I roll out my royal decree for today, I got to ask you, how's that Cleveland summer treating you? Cannot complain. Dreading the Cleveland winter, but Cleveland summer has been good. There's a lot of excitement around the Browns, and uh, I'm not looking forward to the Browns, and I'll tell you why. And I know in our, our, our initial conversation, we didn't, I didn't get to it. But one thing I've realized and I didn't really account for was I live near the Brown Stadium. And so like parking on Sundays is going to be a nightmare. And I didn't factor it in my head and I absolutely should have. It's going to be an absolute nightmare. That is not going to be fun. And then what is going to be fun is in December and particularly January and February, you and I debating which one of us is having the worst winter with our first time as Midwesterners living on the Great Lakes. (laughs) But Karna, with the obligatory banner uh, banter part of this podcast checked off, let's get into what people came here to listen to, and that is some hot Grizzlies takes. I'm about to hit you with a royal decree right after this. So Karna, my royal decree is Taylor Jenkins needs to learn from how Steve Kerr coach of Team USA at the FIBA World Cup this summer, is utilizing Jaron Jackson Jr. offensively. Jaron scored 12 points on 6 of 9 shooting in just 17 minutes against an admittedly weak Puerto Rico squad early in the week. Then he put up 14 points on 5 of 8 shooting against a much stronger Spanish squad yesterday, where he was the second leading scorer and played the highest minutes on the team. So, uh, Hope all the Jaron Minutes haters saw that one. But we saw him as a screener. We saw him involved in dribble handoffs. The whole Team USA made a concerted effort to get him the ball every time he created a seal down low. And it added up to lots of easy looks for Jaron inside. And that's just something we don't see enough of from the Grizzlies. So I'm calling on Taylor Jenkins to watch the tape of Jaron this summer and learn how he can be the focal point offensively, particularly while Jaw is out. 
What say you, Karna, to that royal decree? So my royal decree is involved with that. And it's it's kind of a twofold royal decree. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, my fault, my fault, my fault. All right, hit me with it. Jaron Jackson Jr. will be in the MVP conversation this year, and he will be the MVP of the team. Wow. Okay. I think I've the, the I I sat here on the last podcast and say, well, all these like little you know videos of Jaron Jackson Jr. They don't mean anything. I think FIBA has been a good test to show how well he's kind of moved forward and honestly like in a lot of ways grown into his body which is weird to say at so, about someone his age um i think he's gonna have a breakout season when i say in the conversation i don't mean he's a lock for it right we have Jokic in that conference don't I'm, yeah i'm not being ridiculous but and joel b is one of the all-time centers of this generation for sure so he has a tough competition it's it's probably the toughest time for a big man to win the mvp I mean, he's going to be in the conversation, and I think he'll be the best player on the Grizzlies team this season. But I I want to pose a question. I know this is kind of tangential to what we're talking about. It seems like Steve Kerr, in practice, and, and from what we've seen from kind of just takeaways from media members around the FIBA, USA FIBA team, is that Jaron Jackson Jr. is looking like he's unlocked another level, right? Kind of like those tweets somehow have gleaned from him playing nobody. But my question for you is, and this is a long-standing debate that we've had, how much of this is Steve Kerr utilizing him in a lot of ways? But we, me and you have seen him get the seal down low and John not be able to get him the ball. So how much of this is Jaron Jackson Jr. being able to play off the tools that FIBA has has put around him versus on the Grizzlies, it being the Josh show. And you know, that's always been my argument is that Jaron Jackson Jr. And Desmond Bain both struggle to play with John Morant, who John Morant, who's a ball dominant player. So, I mean, you could point to assist stats. Sure. If you want to, but both you and I both know some of those assist stats don't tell the whole story and their counting stats. Do you think any of this is to do with some of those tools and pieces that are different from a ball-dominant Ja Morant? I don't put it on Ja. I actually put it on one of my favorite players on the Grizzlies, and that is Steven Adams. And -hmm. if it's not Steven Adams, then I put it on Xavier Tillman or Brandon Clark. And what I'm saying is, Jaron almost always has to be the spacing big with the Grizzlies. He has to hang out around the perimeter because you've already got uh, another big guy in the game who can't shoot. And so Jaron, he's not a great three-point shooter, but he's good, really good for a seven-footer. And so he has to play that spacing role, which takes him away from the basket, which means he's not your primary screen and roll option which means he's not even getting the opportunity to create those seals down low. And that is a structural issue with the Grizzlies team that they're going to have to find a way around with Brandon Clark. It's easier because he can be kind of a vertical spacer. And so you put him in, in the dunker spot and Jaron can still post up and maybe that's not such an issue, but 
they're going to have to find ways to create space on the floor with both Steven Adams and Jaron Jackson. And while still giving Jaron the ball inside, I think the easiest way is to make Jaron the screener, the primary pick and roll guy. He has obviously improved in that area. We've seen him get a lot of buckets that way. He's got great passers on this FIBA team, no doubt, but John Morant is an elite passer whatever you might want to say about him making his teammates better. And Marcus Smart is also a very good passer. Desmond Bain, also a very good passer. Mm -hmm. Steven Adams, a very good passer. So if he is able to use this role game that he's developed this summer with the Grizzlies starting this fall, I think that the the pick and roll can be a way he gets a lot of easy baskets. I take your point. There is something about the Grizzlies that is preventing Jaron from getting those easy looks that we're seeing him get in what what are you know glorified exhibition games but i think he's going to continue to do it at the FIBA level but to me it's really on taylor jenkins to find a way to create that space on the floor while still allowing jaron to play to his strengths and his greatest strength is not three-point shooting his greatest strength offensively is his post move down low is his ability to finish because he's an athletic seven footer so let's see what taylor can do with that yeah, I, I I think he I think he will have a great season this season. I think what will be interesting is if we take that first twenty five or however long Jaw is and match that performance against the first twenty five where Jaw kind of plays. Let's just assume it's twenty five, right? First twenty five games where Mark we're running the offense through Marcus Smart. How efficient and effective is Jaron Jackson Jr. versus when John Morant is on the floor? I think that will give us a really really interesting data point about whether jaw is making his teammates better um and you know i've been on that soapbox forever um you and charles yeah. barkley yeah <laughs> oh no <laughs> oh no <laughs> oh god you and charles barkley are the only two people i have ever heard say that oh John no. Brand does not make I, his teammates better there are many many twitter haters that agree with me and i'm not saying those people are any more experts in basketball but i look I, I think like the data, the I think this will be a very interesting data point. Let's just I'll mm-hmm. leave it at that. It doesn't mean that Jaron's scoring can't go down once Shaw comes back because you would expect that you put John Morant back in the starting lineup, he's going to eat up a lot of that scoring. However, you want to see that Jaron's still staying around the same volume and at an even higher efficiency because for for the Grizzlies to be unlocked. They can't have a playoff series where Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson, and John Morant are all shooting below 45%. Yeah. They need all of those guys north of that number. And I think that's possible if they are distributing the ball well and finding creative ways for spacing. And one mm-hmm. of those ways to transition to the next segment might be to see a little more of a guy we haven't talked about much this offseason, and that is Santi Aldama. So now... You've heard this sound once already, but as we officially transition to the news of the realm segment, let's hear those trumpets. Hear ye, hear ye. We've got Grizzlies news for you. Really, for the first time since Summer League, we actually have basketball games to talk about. And with that, Santi Aldama playing for Team Spain. One of only two active NBA players on that roster, and thus far he's been the best player for what is currently the number one ranked team in the world. 
So earlier last week against Slovenia, and by the way, Luka Doncic was playing in that game. Santi Aldama scored 18 points, put up seven rebounds, seven assists in a 99-79 win. It was really impressive to see him be the primary ball handler at times. That guy's really got vision. He's got that European savvy for finding open guys. Um, I'm not sure we've seen that utilized enough on the Grizzlies. And then against Team USA yesterday on Sunday, uh, he put up 14 points, five rebounds, three assists. He was 5 of 12 from the field, which is pretty good efficiency considering who he was going up against. And he was his team's leading scorer. So he was one of the only guys on that Spanish team who could consistently find his offense against uh, a pretty stingy American defense. And then, of course, Jaron against Spain, I gave you his stat line. But um, in addition to those 14 points on efficient shooting, he also had three blocks. And I'll highlight this stat again. I think it's really impressive that he had the highest minutes on the team. Um, In Saturday's game against Slovenia, I haven't brought it up. The United States beat Slovenia by a whole lot because Luka didn't play. But Jaron didn't play much either. Um, He didn't start, wasn't as big a part of the offense. And then when Steve Kerr saw a tougher opponent like Spain on the schedule, he's like, we've got to put our best defender and our best big man score on the floor. And Jaron has been up to the task. He he looks like a guy who might be playing for the Olympic team this time next summer. So, Carter, what do you think about Santi, Santi Aldama's performance and then anything else you have to say about Jaron and FIBA so far? I mean, I, I it's a different style of basketball, I, I think. Um, I mean, FIBA obviously is, and it, it's less physical which has been the kind of gripe against Santi was if you put him in a more physical environment, it's going to be harder for him. Yeah. Um, so I still think that concern exists. I would love to see more minutes and see what happens, especially in this early part of the season. If he can stretch the floor, if he can be consistent from three point, if he can, you know, even create for himself you know, off the dribble, uh, which has not been a strong suit of his. So I, I think those three things I'd love to see in a vacuum or in an experiment in these first couple of games right out the gate. I still think the physicality is a concern, right? Like yeah, your, like your physicality versus Slovenia is going to be different than your physicality versus like Anthony Davis or, um, you know, the, that Lakers squad, the Nikola Jokic and that Nuggets squad, even the Warriors at some pot time. So um, you know, that will be interesting to see. Those concerns still exist for me. I'm not totally sold on like giving Santi the keys to the Grizzlies. I don't think anyone's suggesting that. But, you know, that's that's where I sit on that is like the physicality is still gonna be elevated in the NBA. It's just can Santi kind of deal with that and still be effective. We'll learn more when the actual FIBA World Cup starts. Yeah. Um, I believe that's like around August twenty-sixth. Um, that we, that we get the real games. Uh, Team USA's opener at the World Cup is August 26th against New Zealand. Team USA will also play August 28th against Greece, August 30th against Jordan. Um, that Greece squad will not have Giannis Antetokounmpo, so Team USA should have yeah. no problem getting out of their group. It'll have Costas, the better <laughs> one. <laughs> so um, I think we'll see more physicality in the FIBA World Cup, and that's where I want to see Santi thrive. And... Of course, I'll be watching Team USA more so because not only do we care about Jaron, but we care about the country as a whole doing well. 
avenging a seventh place finish in 2019 at the last FIBA World Cup. But as far as what we're going to learn about Grizzlies players, I believe Santi Aldama has a lot more to show us this summer. Um, So I'll be watching Team Spain closely. They're number one in the world rankings, but that's based off really the last World Cup and the interim period that the United States doesn't try very hard in. Um, So I think if, if he can continue to deliver and be the best player on one of the best teams in that tournament, that's going to say a lot about the role he might fill for the Grizzlies as you're spacing big. Okay. So, Karna, any last thoughts on FIBA before we get to the other news of the realm where uh, we've got some power rankings to do? No, let's get to these power rankings. This is going to be an interesting segment. (laughs) So, last week, John Schumann of NBA.com released his Western Conference power rankings. It might have been a couple weeks ago at this point, but listen, it's a a slow time in the offseason. The news cycle not moving quite like it does around the trade deadline. But anyway, John Schumann of NBA.com put out his Western Conference power rankings, and here is the list. Number one, Denver Nuggets. No surprise there. Number two, Phoenix Suns. Number three, Lakers. Number four, Warriors. Number five, Clippers. Number six, Kings. Number seven, your Memphis Grizzlies. Number eight, Dallas Mavericks. Number nine, Pelicans. Number 10, Timberwolves. Number 11, Thunder. Number 12, Jazz. 13, Rockets. Karnas, Houston Rockets. 14, Trailblazers. I guess he's assuming Dame is gone. And 15, Spurs. And Karna, when I saw this list with my Grizzlies tinted glasses on, the only thing I could think was the Grizzlies disrespect continues. So if John Schumann wants to be so bold, we will as well. It's time to give some Western Conference power rankings. Tell me, how do you see the by far tougher of the two conferences shaking out this season? Okay, so I I, th- I would have to believe, and I read some of his article, but I didn't go in depth. I would mm-hmm. believe what he thinks because that is crazy. Second, two years in a row, down to seventh is crazy. So I, the argument has to be here, hey, one through six got a lot better in free agency or via the draft and the Grizzlies just did it. Yeah. But I don't agree with that because I think what we've talked about is Marcus Smart is going to have a tangible, it, we, we could both agree that Marcus Smart is probably the biggest free agent signing for the Grizzlies, right? Absolutely. Like that's not a crazy thing to say. I think he's going to provide a lot more value than Schumann probably Factored in, in my opinion. So this is my ranking. One, Nuggets. Two, and I think the way that we should talk about this is, well, I'll go through my ranking. You go through your ranking. We can disagree. Yeah. So one, Nuggets. Two, I'm starting to come around on the Suns. So two is the Suns. Um, Three, Lakers. Four, Grizzlies. Five, Warriors. I don't buy Chris Paul. Six, Kings. Seven, Clippers. Eight, Thunder. Nine, Timberwolves. All right, this is my hot take. 10 is my Houston Rockets, baby. Oh, my gosh. They're okay. going to take a big step forward. Let's go. Jabari Smith Jr., Jalen Green, Jay Shante. We're, we're, we're lit, dude. We're that Rockets going to be in the playoffs this year. No homerism on this podcast. No homerism whatsoever. <laughs> it definitely has nothing to do with the Houston Rockets vintage hat I just bought. It has nothing to do with that. <laughs> 
It's all so it's keep up going. To you, man. So you got the Rockets at ten. Did you did you fill out the rest? I didn't go down to fifteen. I mean, why really? would okay. you? Okay, yeah, why? That's well, sure, but this is more of a thing too. I think this year has proven that like. Warriors being five doesn't mean that they can't make a crazy playoff run. Absolutely not, no. Teams built for the regular season are not the same as teams built for the for the playoffs, right? Yeah. Steph gets hot. Chris Paul does his thing. Like, you know, when you're like 30, late 30s or mid 30s, whatever, however you want to say it, and you have some like dying breath type performance, like that's entirely possible. Clay gets mm. healthier. Draymond, I don't know, starts to hit a three every once in a while. Like, yeah, sure. This can, you know, come back and, and the Warriors can be great. But are they built for the regular season? No. They're an older team. They're going to be taking some time off. Um, and to the Suns, same thing. Like, they're going to win a lot of regular season games. We said that at the very beginning when they traded for Bradley Beal. They are a team built for the regular season. Now, when the, when it comes playoffs times and you have to build and play defense and, <laughs> you know. Just that other half even of, a the, little of bit. the game. Yeah. yeah. Even a little bit. And you can't just outscore everyone 135 to 130. Yeah. Like, that's when you're going to see maybe some of these rankings not mean as much. And I get their power rankings, but the way it's such a crapshoot in the playoffs, that's kind of how I went, went about it. Um, give, give me a top four one more time. Nuggets, Suns, Lakers, Grizzlies. Okay. You yeah. ready to hear mine? Yeah. Okay, so my rankings, I'll give just a tiny like blurb on each team. Number uh-huh. one, I also have the Nuggets. They earned it. And yeah. the scary part about this season is Murray is only getting better. If he plays like playoff Murray or even 80% of playoff Murray for most of the regular season, they are going to be a 60-win team. Um, but number two, I have the Lakers. I believe in the in the additions, begrudgingly, that they made this offseason. Gabe Vincent, Torian Prince in particular, are just really solid uh, moves on the margins that don't make the headlines, but do make you better. And obviously, this depends on health, but if they stay healthy, the Lakers are going to be tough to beat. Number three, I have the Grizzlies. And the reason why I have the Grizzlies number three is because that defense is going to be absolutely filthy. And I expect to see leaps from each of the three young core players. Jaron is already showing us how he's making a leap. I can't help but believe that John Morant is going to come out with his hair on fire when he returns from his suspension. And Desmond Bain's growth as a playmaker last season, if you put that on a fully healthy Desmond Bain, once his toe is resolved and, and it, we've heard that it should be resolved by training camp, then he should also be taking a leap. So with those three getting better, as long as you don't have major injuries outside of Jaws suspension, the Grizzlies defense should carry them to number three and their offense should be better too. Um, number four, Suns, again, excellent regular season team with the three-headed scoring monster. Bigger problems in the playoffs with no table setter. Number five, the Kings, another fantastic regular season team. I would have liked to see them do more this offseason, though signing the reigning EuroLeague MVP, Sasa Vazenkov, uh, could help, just not likely to help much on defense, which is where they need it. Um, six, I got the Warriors. I'm not a believer in their depth. Injuries will catch up to them with the aging core. Just like you said, they're still dangerous come the playoffs. Seven, I'm putting the Pelicans in the playoffs. 
Uh, people are forgetting they were number one in the West with Zion and BA healthy. I'm betting on at least a little bit of a bounce back from Zion. All this hate he's been getting the past few months have to fuel him. Uh, number eight, Thunder. And I think this still may be too low. The Chet plus Jalen Williams plus SGA trio is a pretty sick young core. They will play hard, similar to the Grizzlies, and they will win a lot of regular season games. And then that means that out of the playoffs, I have number nine, the Clippers, because I got to see it to believe it. And their coaching will get them to the play-in, but I just have no faith in the health or the long-term viability of the core of Paul George and Kawhi. And then 10, the Mavericks. I have them missing again. Their two-star guards will score enough to keep them in the play-in, but I just I don't think just adding Grant Williams is enough to fix their defense. And then rounding out uh, the rest of the West, 11, the Wolves, until they get rid of either Cat or Gobert. I don't know what we're doing here. Uh, your Houston Rockets at 12. They will be better, but that offense is going to be the analytics nerd's nightmare with Fred no Bailey, Dylan Brooks, Jalen Green. I have no faith in the offense. Absolutely they'll, they'll no be better. Faith. 13 Spurs, they're going to take it slow, but Wimbanyana alone is worth a few more games. 14, I have the Jazz. I think they're going to want to stay bad a little longer. Um, they could be better, but I believe they played over their heads already last year. And John Collins is not like a win now move. That's that's still yeah. another developmental project. Rounding out my Western Conference power rankings is the Blazers. Because I believe They're that bad. assuming they trade Dane, they're the only team in the West that is clearly tanking. And that's the scary thing. That the rest of the West probably comes into the season thinking they can make the playoffs. Um that's why it's it is unfair that the, the playoffs are set off the way they are with the West and the East because uh, the uh, yeah. the Western Conference depth is absurd this year. But Carter, okay. just what do you think about my rankings? So I, I think your rankings – so I think there's a, a way to think about these rankings is that there are teams that are elite, one through four. Yeah. And then there's everyone else, kind of, in the regular season, right? Yeah. But I think if you break up that everyone else tiers, there's a couple tiers within that, right? You have – People, you know, you have the Blazers, the Spurs, they're competing for a lottery pick, right? They need a couple more pieces, so yeah. they're going to need some some time. The Jazz should go fall into that bucket. Young core kind of is its own bucket, right? You have the Thunder, Rockets. Um, I wouldn't put the Clippers in there, obviously. <laughs> I mean, I guess Good you could kind of throw young. the Kings in there, right? De'Aaron yeah. Fox, only 26. Um, they have, like, a, a couple young good pieces, uh, Keegan Murray as well. Mm -hmm. But I would say like there's, and then there's just below the elite teams. I would say the Warriors, Thunder, Kings, Clippers, depending on the, whether, you know, Rudy Gobert and Cat figure it out though, they have the star power to compete. So there's kind of this elite tier, Nuggets, Suns, Lakers, Grizzlies, star power, complete, well-rounded teams that are going to compete day in, day out. Then you have kind of the second tier of teams that can make a run in the playoffs, can shock the world. In the Warriors' case, have been there, done that. Yeah. And that that tier kind of includes the Warriors, Kings, Clippers. I'm going to throw the Thunder in there with the SGA, Chet Holmgren. I'm going to throw the Pelicans um, in there because the best of the Pelicans can be there. I don't understand. The, like, what are we looking at with the Pelicans? Like, run me through that. Are you saying Brandon Ingram is going to take some step forward that I haven't seen from him? Or Zion's going to be like – magically after the worst like drama offseason i've seen in recent history be like 
other he rivaled John Morant in like worst off seasons that you could possibly have. Did not think that was possible, but yeah, he did. <laughs> like I, I mean, I don't, it, I don't think that it's really about either one of them, Zion or Bi, taking a leap. It's just them being available because when those guys are both available, that's a really good team and they've got good pieces. Trey Murphy is probably going to be the guy that the Grizzlies look back on with the most regret because they, they could have had him in the draft and said took Zaire Williams and, um, and Herb, Herb Jones is a great defender and Jose Alvarado brings their spark plug off the bench. And we can't forget CJ McCollum's there. Like this is a team with a lot of talent that was playing super well early in the season, but Basically, from that point on, they didn't have either BI or Zion or both, and but he, they're terrible. Here's my counter argument for that. Like, really, maybe having the Rockets ten is dumb, right? Like <laughs> they're not going to be ten. <laughs> I just like them. Like I think they are going to take a big, a bigger step forward than uh, we are accounting for. I think, okay. like ten is their ceiling, and it would be an amazing. Like if you listen to the recent uh, podcast with Kelly Iko on the Athletic, mm-hmm. I forget exactly which one it is but um because they have a couple nba shows uh i think it's our main one but he, he kind of talks about the step forward that they can take talent wise right and then you think about what fred van vliet and our boy dylan brooks can add you know i, I mean we're not expecting much from dylan brooks even from the fiba thing we can see that he hasn't improved all that much but <laughs> no it's been a tough what, FIBA what, run yeah. for him. what can he add defensively what can Fred Van Vliet add from a table setting or um, kind of playmaking perspective? I, I think they have a solid shot. But going back to the Pelicans, I mean, I just don't see them being available all at the same time. Like that's my yeah. that's all my whole argument is like they haven't yeah. proven that they can do it before. I think if Zion can come back and be a fraction of like of himself, maybe we see them sneak into the playoffs. But my my argument is like one guy we haven't mentioned is Anthony Edwards, like, the, uh, for the Timberwolves. Why yeah. Why is he not enough to put them within that top 10? Where, where do you have them where, now? Where did you have – I had him at 11. Where did you have him? I had him at 9. Yeah. I mean, Ant is amazing. And he's been yeah. another one of the stars for Team USA so far, along with Jalen Brunson and Sharon. But the, the front court of Cat and Gobert is not a good fit. They were better with Cat out. And if they decide to blow it up and trade Cat and get a probably really good return and build around Gobert or kind of the other way around, I think it could work trading Gobert, but you're just not going to yeah. get any value there. Um, well, then you, maybe maybe it works. Yeah. When it was Ant's team, they were good. But yeah, it's not going to be Ant's you. team. It's going to be Cat. Blow team. it up. Get, get some really good role players, put them around Ant, and you can definitely see, definitely see something really bloom in, in Minnesota. Yeah. I, I I am not a believer in Cat as like the best player on a winning team. No, absolutely um, not. I'm not I'm not yeah. I'm not a believer in Cat as a player on a winning team. Okay. He is a losing player. <laughs> okay. He's a good player oh, okay. but he's a losing player. I don't know. Yeah, I mean like you don't think he could play like a role player type I don't even, think even he's like willing. a secondary third tertiary star. His skills would allow him to do that. Yo, you're not he, he's not he willing. doesn't seem willing yeah. to do that and until this is Ant's team with either Cat or Gobert as the second guy and a yeah. far below second guy, then I'm not a believer in the Wolves. Dude, I don't know. Gobert seems like he's a, a stretch for five now, dude. 
Oh my you gosh. see that three pointer? Well, so Stephen Adams shot in the universe. <laughs> yeah, Stephen Adams shot <laughs> actually looked nice. I mean, can he just do that on free throws? Yeah, that that would be huge for us. Uh, um, so so we each had the same top four in slightly different order, but Nuggets, Lakers, Grizzlies, Suns in some order. What yeah. was your five through eight again? Five through eight is Warriors, Kings, Clippers. I think Cl- I think Warriors, Kings, You're Clippers, right. and who else? Uh, Thunder. Thunder. Okay, so we both have. I think I think have... one thing that you didn't mention that I would I would really add for the Thunder. I think yeah. Josh Giddy also provides playmaking. Absolutely, no, he's that's outsized. He's, yeah, that, that like it'll be really it'll be a solid solid core, especially if Chet can stay healthy. Um, so I think those stand out here and where we probably just, cause we just switched Warriors games, right? Like, yeah, yeah. We had yeah, five. That's not really a big deal no. because right, right. We're talking about the difference between three, four games probably. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the Clippers. Let's zoom in there. You have them in, I have them just out. Yeah. I have them. I have them well in really. Yeah. Um, here's my, here's my thought process there. I think Paul George and Kawhi both needed some time for this to gel. I think they have to win now. They do. And I think I I think the Clippers organization knows that and I think you will see some moves that really really strengthen that team. They don't have because any they assets. They need to win now. They don't they have any money. assets. They do yeah. have a lot of money. So within these next two seasons, you're going to either see them spend big or trade what little they have to get some pieces to help these guys out. And I yeah. think that will – and I also think – this is another thing. I, I think that they are going to um, win a lot of regular season games. Like, like I think Kawhi is going to be a little healthier. I think uh, Paul George will be a little healthier, and they'll come in and just like steamroll some teams that aren't trying as hard. I just don't see the Clippers as a regular season team, and until they take the regular season te- the regular season more seriously, they're not going to be in the playoffs at all, or they're going to be in such a disadvantageous position that they don't get far. Um, I and mean, they yeah, lost I, Eric I Gordon, that. who was a solid player for them. And can you expect Russell Westbrook to continue the resurgence he had late in the season? I, I wouldn't. That seemed like what you were talking about earlier with the Warriors—a last gasp. Yeah, I like I like Kenya uh, KJ Martin. I like Kenyon Martin Jr. Wait, what? Kenya Martin. Why are they listen? The... Yeah, well, I mean, they listed him twice. Yeah, with the same picture. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, uh, I like Kenyon Martin. I like the that addition. I like Bones Highland. I like Terrence Mann. Like they do have some young guys that can contribute. Um, I mean, it'll be depending on those guys. I I just th- I just think. Paul George and, and Kawhi Leonard. I'm betting on resurgent seasons for them. Okay, okay. Well, I just saw the Clippers' new stadium. I was at SoFi for Taylor Swift. Got my friendship bracelet here. And okay. uh, it's a beautiful stadium. It's a beautiful stadium, but I are thought they SoFi going to was a Chargers stadium. It is, but right next door, they're building the Clippers' new stadium. Okay, And it's okay, going to okay. be great. Okay, so you saw it from like... I, I was, saw it. I was like... And I imagined the zero banners they're going to ever put up in that building. Dude, it's going to look great empty. Yeah, don't do that. Why are you all of a sudden a Lakers fan? What the hell? No, I'm not. I, you know, you know, I don't like the Lakers, but I did begrudgingly rank them second because 
they're good. And they've been good uh, for a long time. And who now they at? Gabe Vincent and who's the other person? I don't know why I'm forgetting. Tor- Tor- Torian, Torian Prince, Prince, right? Yeah. He yeah, would have been a great guy for the Grizzlies to add. Yeah, and Torian yeah. Prince can stretch the floor. The shooting seems to not be as big an issue for them now. They certainly figured out yeah. in the playoffs. I mean, they don't need Rui Hachimura to be the flamethrower he was in the playoffs. No. They don't need Austin Reeves to be a flamethrower. They just need all of those guys to be solid role players and for AD and LeBron to lead the team. And that's. I want to like zoom it. in on one thing, too. Okay. Um, do you think Warriors? Let's talk about Warriors Kings because I think that's an emerging. Mm-hmm. That's an emerging, I guess, re-emerging rivalry. Yeah. Who do you think has the edge this year? If it, Basically, I'm asking, do you think the Chris Paul experiment is going to work? I'm not a huge fan of that addition, but if you take in the context of they swapped Jordan Poole for Chris Paul, then they did get better. Yeah. Because Jordan sure. Poole was actively making their team worse. So... The Dylan Brooks effect. It's a, yeah, I think probably stronger than the Dylan Brooks effect, and they, you know, they're going to come around near the end of the season. They're not going to miss the playoffs unless they have catastrophic in, injuries, and whoever they play in the first round, they're going to put a huge scare into. But it does seem to me that outside of Steph, the rest of their core has left their best days behind. We know Clay is not the same guy. Draymond is not the same guy. Chris Paul is not the same guy. And none of their young players have hit in the way you would want them to hit. Um, so it's I would argue they Steph... lost one of their better younger players in Dante. Absolutely. No, that was a huge yeah. loss. Um, gives them very little depth in uh, the backcourt. And so he, Steph is going to carry that team. But I see this as more like the season where they missed the playoffs. Um, and lost to the Grizzlies in that epic play-in game than it like their championship season. And yes, I'm saying yeah. they're going to be in, but there's going to be a lot of ups and downs. And yeah, they're just they they have come down from their peak. Um, mm-hmm. it's a good thing for the rest of the conference. And I would love to see the Kings not only surpass them in the regular season standings, but get the better of them in the playoffs as well. That'd be fun for the Bay Me area. Too. Um, I was disappointed with the Kings this off season. I think they could have yeah. taken a big step forward. They didn't. They're relying on their young core. And I get that. Okay. So I like that in a lot of ways, you know, as I've said before, a lot of these big championship teams in, even in like, even if we're talking about the, the Warriors, right? Like they relied on their young core starting out, yep. you know, they lost a lot of games. There was a lot of growing pains, but you know, Clay, Draymond, and, and Steph eventually figured it out, and then they spent big money on KD. It just seemed like this. There was they're leaving wins on the table, right? Yeah. From from like a very ancillary like players, like making a strong bid for Bruce Brown would have probably helped. Even like guys like Gabe Vincent, Torian Prince, who who went to the conference, right? Like yeah. you know, those guys could have been really meaningful contributors on a team. I, I, I don't know why they didn't spend any money. I, I don't think I, I don't think they have salary cap issues, if I'm guessing. Um, I'm guessing they have a pretty healthy uh, payroll. So I, I, it's a really it's a bit surprising that they didn't for how they did this season. But on the other hand, I understand a lot of teams throughout sport, especially in recent sports memory, have relied on homegrown talent rather than yeah. big free agent contracts. 
and we've gone through some of them. You know, examples in baseball, the Astros. You know, examples in basketball, the Warriors, and right? the so, Nuggets, and the Nuggets. Very yeah. much a home so, run team. So yeah, I can understand it. I wish they did it though. They, I wish they took a little bit of a chance and then went for it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those are. I think that I think we wrapped up the Western Conference really well. I yeah. think the Rockets are going to shock some people. I'll okay, leave it at well, that. I think the Rockets are going to shock some people. The team I think with Jabari the real upside is going to take it. He's going to take a step forward. I, I did. Think, see I think a lot of these young. Good things from Jabari Smith. He yeah. he should be better this yeah. season. Yeah. Um. But the team that that could make our rankings look dumb is probably the Thunder, because oh, yeah. I could yeah, see yeah, them yeah. having a Grizzlies like season from a couple of years ago where they go from people predicting them to maybe make the play on to being in the top four in the West. I don't think that makes them a huge playoff threat, but if you're telling yeah. me that, that they play super hard, they're healthy because they're young and you know, all of their young guys take a step <laughs> forward, then yeah, they could, they could. This is why I don't feel bad about putting them in eight is because I don't know what Chet Holmgren is. I don't think anyone no. does. I don't think I don't think there's certain people inside OKC that know what he is yet. No, right? Like, is he like closer to Wembenyama? Is he closer to Greg Oden? Is he Zion Williamson? Is he you know like we just don't know, and it's it's impossible yeah. to know. And so I, I'm okay leaving them and just you know if if someone's gonna be like you're an idiot you know later I'll say have you ever seen a seven footer with a foot injury the second game in their professional career. Yeah, so until you like have if you believe that you're a known quantity for that, then that person who called me stupid should work for an NBA team because <laughs> it's just like it's just too much. So let's look at what they were missing in the playoffs, right? They were missing another reliable playmaker and score, right? Mm-hmm. And we believe that Chet Holmgren can kind of be a go-to scorer in the NBA and has enough versatility to to provide some of that. Yeah. Does that somehow get them over the hump against a tough Western Conference schedule? No, it, for them, it's more about how much better do Josh Giddy, Jalen Williams, Chet Holmgren get. Um, their other young guys, I mean, their entire team is young. Yeah. Um, and if they do break out, again, I'm saying they could break out in the regular season and not be taken that seriously as a playoff threat. But... Um, it's just that of that young team effect where they're going to play hard yeah. every night. They're going to care about the regular season. If they won the in season tournament, I would not be surprised at all because that's the kind of thing that uh, a team like that would care about. Um, yeah. But let me run yeah, through my top eight care. one more time. And then you give yours mm-hmm. just so we, uh, we yeah. wrap this up. So I have nuggets, one Lakers, two Grizzlies, three Suns four Kings, five Warriors, six Pelicans, seven, Thunder eight, and then just missing the cut are the Clippers, the Mavericks, and the Wolves. What is your top eight yeah. in the West? My top eight is one Nuggets, two Suns, three Lakers, four Grizzlies, five Warriors, six Kings, seven Clippers, eight Thunder. Just missing. We got the Timberwolves, and number ten is your Houston Rockets. <laughs> so our America's biggest point team. of disagreement is I have the Pelicans in, you have the Clippers in. Yours is certainly the more conventional pick, but uh, if the Clippers season goes anything like it did last season, then uh, I may be gloating on this one. We'll see. Look, the only thing that I think would be it, like, let's let's extend this out just like one a little bit. Okay. If you had to pick the most dangerous team in this playoff run, who's it going to be? Besides the Nuggets. Besides the Nuggets. 
the most dangerous team. Okay. Yeah. Who are you least likely to want to face? Oh. If you're uh, not the Nuggets, obviously. Probably the Lakers or the Suns. Really? Yeah. I I could agree on the Lakers. I'm. I, I would rather not see the Grizzlies. Oh, I mean, the Suns. If, if you're the Grizzlies, I, I thought you were going from a Grizzlies perspective. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, no. I, meant, I like, mean, if you were any of these bottom teams, like say you're the Thunder, right? Who are you wanting to face? You're probably wanting to play the Grizzlies because the Grizzlies do have a little thing going on here where they have to prove it in the playoffs. Yeah, sure. The Suns haven't proven it though. No, that's what true. have they I done? Mean, they they went to the finals. A few I guess years they went ago, to the finals. But totally, yeah, but not with team. the same team. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I guess they do have guys that can prove it, though. KD has proven it. So maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, all right. Yeah, I think we wrapped up the rankings. Um, I think we will tr- track the Clippers versus um, Pelicans as, as the season goes on. And um, you will either see me or King gloat. So that'll be fun. We're good at that. Tune in. We can certainly gloat. Tune into, yeah, tune into next time. <laughs> if there's one thing King and I do really well together is talk trash. <laughs> That is one of our <laughs> strengths. I put it on my resume. Um, but, Karna, with NBA.com now officially discredited, let's turn mm-hmm. to the King's Court. And for that, we need the gavel of justice. Order in the King's Court. It's time for a debate. Although this one might not be as heated as others, because I think we are, we're going we're gonna to agree on a lot here. But... Let's talk about the all-time Memphis Grizzlies starting five. The Grizzlies might not have the long-term success of other NBA franchises. After all, they've only been around since 1995 and have only been in Memphis since 2001, and they've never won a game in the conference finals. But starting in 2011, they've consistently been near the top of the Western Conference with a strong, if unheralded, crew of players. So... In debating our all-time Grizzlies starting five, let's set a couple of quick rules. We're going to stick to the Memphis era of the franchise. So no Sharif Abdul-Rahim, who might otherwise have been on the list because he he played his biggest role in Vancouver. And we're going to go by positions loosely. So one point guard, two wings, two bigs. With those rules in place, Karna, what is your all-time Grizzlies starting five? I'm going to let you go first since I went first in the rankings. You go okay, first. Okay, sweet. Yeah, I'll go for it. So my point guard is Mike Conley, the franchise record holder for games played, points, assists, steals, and threes. Enough said. My shooting guard is Desmond Uh-oh. Bain. He is the best shooter in franchise history. He averages 16 points on 42 per- 42.5% three-point shooting in his first three years, but – He's probably going to be a career 20-point-per-game scorer, and this also says a lot about the weakness at shooting guard in the Grizzlies franchise history. But then, at small forward, you could also consider him a, a, a shooting guard, but at the other wing position, Tony Allen, three-time first-team all-defense. He just mostly beat the charges against him for health care fraud. I believe he just got community service, so good defense legally as well. Um, but he set the culture. He literally coined the term grit and grind, which I recently learned was actually a shot at Rudy Gay for sitting out a game with a hurt toe. So there's that. And then at the bigs, power forward, it's got to be Zebo, the offensive focal point of the early grit and grind years. At his height, as good as anybody not named John Morant for the Grizzlies. Um, I mean, like 
single game heights that he could take the Grizzlies to. He was a three-time All-Star, some epic games, like 31 points to eliminate the Spurs in Game 6 in 2011, 28 and 14 to close out the Thunder in 2013 to reach the Western Conference Finals. Zebo was not only your consistent workhorse in the paint, he also was a guy who could elevate to be a really strong playoff scorer. And then at the other big position is arguably at this point the greatest player in Grizzlies franchise history and that is Mark Gasol the only Grizzlies player ever to be first team all NBA team records and rebounds blocks field goals free throws and win shares though not nearly as flashy as John Morant who should one day be the best player in franchise history he has at this point reached the highest heights Mark Gasol has reached the highest consistent heights of any Grizzly player and he sustained it for a long time and that's not even mentioning the playoff buzzer beater to beat the Spurs in 2017 oh so good but my starting five Conley Bain Allen Zebo, and Gasol hit me with yours I'm gonna ask you one question before I okay. how many seasons did Mike Conley in Memphis average more than 20 points oh gosh I'm gonna go with Two. One. Mm. So my top five is John Morant, two, Desmond Bain, three, uh, three to five is the same. Oh, no, no. My three is different. My three is Rudy Gay. I'm going to ask you another question. Tony. Okay. 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 I understand. Hold on. Tony. I, I, because I'm about to contradict myself a little bit, but Tony Allen never averaged more than 10 points a game. Tony Allen wasn't like, a scorer. I, but see, this is my argument, is that I think you have based your rankings as someone who has fell in love with the Grizzlies and has personal biases towards players that have defined how you watch sports. I am looking at this as, like, if you ask me the top five Rockets of all time, yeah, like, Elijah going to be on there. Am I putting T-Mac on there? Yeah. Yes, I am. Yao Ming's on there. Like, these are guys that I grew up watching, not Elijah but they defined my early NBA experience. So I think you're biased by this. You're, you're biased con- looking at this from a box a score hunting. Bias. No, just looking at like how many points people scored. You cannot possibly put Rudy Gay over Tony Allen. Yeah, I get that. But a guy who doesn't score more than 10 points a game, you're telling me he has more impact on the court than Rudy Gay. I'm telling you he does. That is, he was the okay, reason well, why well, the let's start and Grind Let's start at the top. Okay. But who who cares? We didn't win anything. Who cares? Who cares? That's that's my argument. It's like, yeah, he defined an era as like some figurehead. Sure. But let's let's stop. Well, well let's stop there. Let's stop there. Let's let's start with John Morant. Okay, so r- round Matt out Tom- your list. So you have so far John Morant, Desmond Bain, Rudy, Rudy four Gay. and five, and four and five are Zebo and. Gasol. Like I think we can both aren't like ignore. Like, what am I not yeah. gonna put? Am I gonna not put the guy whose jerseys are retired in the stadium? Of course I am. Yeah. Like, I'm not dumb. Of course. Um I agree with Bane. I mean, if you're not gonna put Abdul Al Rahim in there, like, yeah, sure, Bane, for sure. So let let's drill down on um John Morant. Why well, I can put John Morant over Mike Conley. Um because John Morant's a generational talent. And yeah, sure, he Absolutely. hasn't done as much yet as Mike Conley has, but his ceiling is much, much higher. He's already eclipsed in, in totality what Mike, what Morant, or what, what uh, the team, like he's eclipsed what 
each player has meant to the to the NBA A and B to Memphis. So even if you want to take that Tony Allen like type argument that you've made, right? He defines a generation. John Morant defines a generation of Grizzlies, the most winning Grizzlies generation. So Not if you're going to use that, ar- Not yet. Wait, did we? Sorry, did Mike Conley go to a Western Conference Final? Yeah, he did, right? He did. Yes. So did John Morant? No. No. Not yet. So, but but I'm sorry. Consistently making the playoffs. Who has more? Who has more playoff appearances? Am I crazy? Mike Conley went absolutely I think John seven. Mike Conley went seven years in a row. Or 2011, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Yeah, seven that's right. Years. Okay, but even so, not averaging more than twenty points and not being the best player on the team, you're putting him over John Morant? Because Marcus Gasol is the best player on those teams, right? Do, do we is, agree on that? Marcus Gasol. Uh, yes. Oh. Marcus yeah, Gasol But this is a career achievement thing in my mind, and Mike Conley defines so how do you- not just the Memphis Grizzlies, but the city of Memphis. And he was as, as close... To John Morant in terms of the clout in the city. I mean, he and he and Zebo and probably Tony Allen too. That Jaw has achieved, and Jaw did that no. in less time. I get it, but if you yeah. look at the sustained success of the grit and grind years, this new next gen Grizzlies they have yet to reach those same heights. And if you're just telling me that I left the leading scorer, assists guy, uh, win guy off the off the all-time starting yeah, five, Bill I'd Russell say that has feels ten wrong. championships. Bill Russell has ten championships. No one puts him in the 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 lineage of great, like the best centers of all time. Like he's not top three, right? Yes, he like is. Elijah one. Elijah. <laughs> okay, that's a different conversation. That's a different conversation. That's a different conversation. Because Elijah putting Elijah one over Bill Russell. Oh my gosh. Well, okay, yeah, you're joking. Okay, we're quitting right. this that's podcast together. I cannot podcast with you if you have these. <laughs> no incredibly dumb opinion but that's my argument is like these counting these counting stats mean nothing to me right but like, you just told John me that it, tony allen's counting stats no, but couldn't you be just on the told list. me you just told you first of all you just told me tony allen defined the grit and grind era now you're telling me mike conley defines the grit and that's grind fair. era. they now, both did not now you're telling me too that these but guys both symbolize this great time in grizzlies history i'm mm-hmm. telling you the ceiling of john morant is much higher He's, of course. he's brought in the he's gotten brought in the Grizzlies international eyes. So we're talking from a symbolism perspective. I think we could both agree that no one has done more for the Grizzlies from a symbolism perspective than John Morant. Problem is right? it cuts both ways. He's done good and bad symbolism, which is something yeah, you can never sure, say. He's done good Conley. and bad. But I get I think I, I see a lot on Twitter of these Memphis homers being like, oh my con and he was great. He never averaged more than 20 points. He was never a top three point guard. Or sorry, once. It was 20.5, by the way. He he was never a top three point guard in the NBA, right? Like all of these things blow my mind for how you can say that he was a better Grizzly than, than John Morant, who's now internationally renowned. If you walk the street in China and ask somebody who John Moran is, I guarantee probable probability wise, they're gonna know who he was more at a at a higher clip than Mike Conley during the grit and grind era. Of course. And that l- largely that's Mike Conley's personality too. That is also true. I will give that, and you shouldn't maybe detract from that. 
But my argument, my treatise is like, if we are talking about symbols and we are talking about numbers as well, layered on there, right? I think we can both agree that John Morant has the ceiling and the symbolism to usurp Mike Conley. Mike Conley just did it for longer without really doing much. He okay, wasn't the best player on the team. Great. But, <laughs> but, okay, but it, now you've John said Morant three people has to find the yet, grind era. Has though. yet to achieve the same career personal heights or the same career team heights that Mike Conley did. And he will someday. And I fully but, expect that John Morant will be wait, the best player heights. in franchise history. I'm saying that Mike Conley is the franchise's leading scorer. And that has to mean something. I, I mean, that's fine. He's just done it for longer. Like, I don't. Of course, I, I agree. It has to mean a something. Really long time. I, how many all stars does how many all stars does does he have? Mike Conley? one and in, in Memphis, one. Now John Morant already has two. Of course, and if if you're yeah. asking me, who I mean, the like best player most improved is, player, rookie of the year, all NBA second team. Like, I think you're kind of downplaying what Jaw has brought to the Grizzlies by saying this. And I see a bunch of homers that I, I swear to God. I, I believe that they all are talking to each other about, like, what's the hottest take to have? Dude, Mike Conley is not anywhere near the ceiling of John Morant. He's not anywhere near the marketing talent of John Morant or the on-court talent of John Morant. John Morant has single-handedly ushered in a – and this is going to be a hot take. But the only time I've ever seen another person do what they've done for a franchise is LeBron James getting drafted by the Cavaliers. Like Zion Williamson was supposed to be that next generation talent, he wasn't. Giannis Antetokounmpo, sorry, for I'm, I'm passionate now. Giannis from Milwaukee is the only other one I can think of. Jokic for maybe Nikola Jokic too. Yeah, Jokic for Denver, sure, I'll take that too. Like, I mean, if these, you're asking me, single-handedly. Go ahead. If you're asking me who I'd rather have on on the team at their peak, it's absolutely John Morant. I am just saying that to get okay. on that all-time starting five, Josh still has more to prove. First of all, he cannot actively hurt the team as he has multiple times in the last two years. And he also has to achieve the same heights with his team because he is playing with a better team than Mike Conley ever did. And do I expect that this, the, these Grizzlies are going to go farther than the grit and grind Grizzlies? Yes, I do. But until they do... The fact that Mike Conley did get to a Western Conference Finals, the fact that he did go to the playoffs seven years in a row, the fact that he was able to not just be the franchise leading scorer, but get there because he did it for so long in the same place. Until Jaw starts to reach some of those same benchmarks, he can't be considered the yeah. best point guard in franchise history. And he will get there. But my argument is this. My argument is this, is like, you're just waiting for one, the inevitable to happen, which is John Moran. I hope so. Him. I hope it's sure. inevitable. Sure. I, I mean, it, I think it is. If he stays out of trouble. But two, you said something really interesting. You said John Morant has hurt the franchise. I'm going to tell you this. He has the capacity to hurt a franchise because yeah. he's such a star player. Yeah. Mike Conley never had the capacity to hurt a franchise as much as John Morant did. And let's let's stop That's there for a point. second. Because you've told me in this discussion that three different players have defined the grit and grind era. I believe you can make the argument that Tony Allen and Marcus All did. Mike Conley was a run of the mill point guard who had some good seasons in Grizz in, in Memphis. 
The only thing I will say on top of that is that it's not like he was a generational talent at point guard. No, he but was he an was average a NBA point operator. guard that just did. Yeah, he was an average to be- better than average point guard in the NBA. The reason you love him so much is because he defined an era of basketball that you love. Like that's my argument. It's like I I don't think you can say like, and I think that's for a lot of Grizzlies fans. From what I saw on Twitter, it's like guys who have loved the Grizzlies forever, guys who have really fell in love with basketball during the grit and grind era. And now they they associate the greatest times in Grizzlies history to those times, especially with the recent issues with Jaw. But Jaw has brought unprecedented eyes to the Grizzlies internationally. No doubt. And if we're talking symbols, Jaw Morant has to be on the Mount Rushmore. He transformed the franchise within two years of being there. Yeah, so that's that's my argument. Days of being there, honestly. So can, yeah. can, we, can we agree on this? If we made this exercise easier on ourselves and just picked three guards and two bigs, would oh, yeah. Mike Conley and John Morant be your top two guards? Would they both be over? Oh, for yeah, you? for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, Desmond, they'd be over Desmond, Desmond Bain. We just haven't had a two. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. So um, we made it tough on ourselves about- that probably two of the top five players in Grizzlies franchise history played the same position. And the other yeah. person who's being left off this list is another guy who I expect will eventually be on it, even with some hot competition in his position, and that's Jaron Jackson. I mean, how long will it take for him to get up there with Zebo and Marcus All? Let me ask you a question about Zebo. Mm-hmm. He had some great seasons, don't get yeah. me wrong. But if anyone defined what Memphis is, it's Zebo. Right? Oh, absolutely. Like, like if I was to find someone who defined Memphis, the Grizzlies organization before John Morant, it's Zebo, right? Totally tough guy, you know, willing to do anything to get a basket, like just a, a guy who's willing to do anything to win, which I think defines Memphis. So I mean, to me, he's a standout. He, he's a standout as defining Memphis. Mm-hmm. I think Marcus Hall is a better player. I'm not stupid. Let's talk about Tony Allen versus Rudy Gay because I think we run into another thing where. He's a fan favorite. Guys who love the team, who watch the team forever, they're going to put Tony Allen in there. Mm-hmm. He never averaged more than 10 points a game, man. Like I know, but that's he, not his value. Towards, and yeah, sure. But like, what? So you're saying just from perimeter defense, he gets on this list. He's that good a defender. I mean, if you look, I just saw another one. I believe it was uh, Steph Curry who said it. He said Tony Allen was one of the best defenders he ever faced. In the NBA, and that's okay. multiple all-time greats who have now said that. And what he did defensively is light years better than any single thing that Rudy Gay did. Light years better. Yes, Rudy, Rudy Gay, Gay was a better scorer, but he was, a, he was a he was a. If you're gonna say that that Mike Conley was a run-of-the-mill point guard, Rudy Gay was absolutely a run-of-the-mill scoring wing. In fact, he was probably below average if you're talking about a a wing whose primary strength is scoring whereas tony allen was the best perimeter defender in the game at his peak so between 06 and let's say 2013 who was carrying water for the grizzlies 06 and 2013 yeah i mean probably pal gasol to mark gasol and zebo and then conley at the tail end of that and uh, Tony yeah. Allen was just Once added th- yeah. in 2010. Most of the leading times of that that time I just mentioned, I think Rudy Gay was the leading scorer on that team. 
So it's like on a really bad team. I guess it's Oh, trust me, I know. I <laughs> trust me. I, I, I definitely know that those teams are bad. But like my argument is people didn't tune in to watch like the Gasol's like tune in to watch Rudy Gay, man. Because he could dunk, he could do things that no one else on the Grizzlies really could do, and that's consistently score. So that that's my only argument. It's like I guess the really the thesis too is like I think you value a time in Grizzlies from like a fan perspective. I think I look at the scoring numbers and I think you could argue that I value scoring a little too much, but like, I think, I think I, I come out from like a third party view more than anything. I was like deeply entrenched with the T-Mac Rockets at the time. Like I wasn't really, Grizzlies were just like an easy win on the schedule during this time. So it's like, Ouch. do I, I mean, we both thought that that was a really oh, bad yeah. team. Like OJ Mayo was like supposed to be the, <laughs> the guy. Yeah. Well, um, I think I value so no OJ Mayo on the list or <laughs> really no, like I don't think you could yeah I don't think you can agree I don't think you've done a good job of attributing wins to people is my argument like yeah that's my you argument. can't I, separate I don't think done a good job the best era of Grizzlies basketball from all four of the the core four you had Zebo's scoring and as you said defining Memphis I mean he said I'm I'm a blue collar player this is a blue collar city. It's probably one of the most epic quotes you had. I mean, Marcus Gasol was one of the most versatile centers in the game at his time and may go down as one of the most versatile Agreed. centers ever. Kind of a predecessor to Jokic in the way that he could pass and be a playmaker. Um, mm -hmm. But then Mike Conley was your steadying force, your point guard. And when he needed to be, he could elevate to be your number one scorer. I think of his 35-point playoff game and an OT win versus Spurs in 2017. And then Tony Allen provided the backbone, which was your defense. Both Gasol and Tony Allen were great defenders. And Gasol, of course, won Defensive Player of the Year. But the person who I believe had the greatest impact on the Grizzlies' greatest strength in that time, which was their defense, was Tony Allen. Because he was yes. by far and away um, the best perimeter defender of his time. Now, he was such an offensive liability that that eventually made him unable to, to see the floor in the changing game. The the spacing era caught up with him. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. in his Interesting era... Interesting note at the end there. In his era, Interesting he absolutely note deserves to be on this list. Certainly okay. over Rudy Gay. I don't think so. I, I There's this, like, this black hole in Grizzlies history, and you're putting like no one from that list? Yeah. Like, dude, dude they're terrible. Rudy Gay was like... Rudy Gay was dropping 20 a night on not very efficient shooting, but still. So like, he's Dylan dang, Brooks. Like, Yay. Dylan Brooks should be on this okay. list. Okay. If anyone is Dylan Brooks, it's Tony Allen. <laughs> if anyone is Dylan Brooks, it's Tony Allen. Tony Allen didn't try to be too much offensively. He didn't think That's fair. That's a good that point. he was one of the best offensive players. He knew he couldn't shoot. And so he Also, did he I'll argue this. This is a lesser argument. But for some reason, when I think of Tony Allen – even though he spent almost an equivalent time in Memphis, I, I think of him as a Celtic. Mm -hmm. That's fair. Because he won the championships there. Yeah. Right? That's so. fair. Um, I, I think we're going to have to agree to disagree because, yes, am I yeah. wedded to the grit and grind era? Absolutely. But that was the only era until now where the Grizzlies were actually relevant, and that should say something. Mm -hmm. e any one of those four. Until now. Four, mm -hmm. I wonder who. 
I wonder who ushered that time in. Any huh. one of those core four could have had greater counting stats if they weren't surrounded by the other three. Like, yeah, I think Mike Conley could have averaged 25 a game at his peak, but he didn't need to because he also had two really solid scores. That's, in a, fair point. And That's a fair point. Yeah. Um, and obviously John Morant should be on this list and will be on this list soon. And if he takes the Grizzlies to the finals, maybe even the conference finals this next season, he's probably already done enough to surpass Conley. Mm -hmm. He just got a couple things to prove. Mm -hmm. You got anything else on, on our all-time Grizzlies starting five? No, that was fun. That was really fun. Read yours out one more time for the folks back home. Morant, Bain, Rudy Gay, died by that. Four Zebo, five Gasol. You will die by that take because it's so terrible. All right, mine. Rudy Gay forever, man. Conley, Bain, Allen, Zebo, Gasol. Don't forget, we did this by positions. Obviously, if if we weren't doing it so strictly by positions, you would swap Jaw for Bain in a heartbeat. But oh, that was 100%. fun. And while the Grizzlies don't have the star power of honestly most other franchises in our debate you could see that there's more history there than i think the average nba fan would appreciate yeah yeah for sure so any last thoughts karna nope that's it i think cool. i think it was a good time keep tuning into this yeah for like real. and subscribe do whatever you need to do because yes, we have some good debates here absolutely and this is hoops royalty a memphis grizzlies podcast when we started, we had aspirations of covering the whole NBA, just like we did in, in the one segment of this podcast, but our hearts drew us back to the Grizzlies. That is where we are experts, and that is where we believe uh, we can fill a hole in the podcast market. There are yeah. great Grizzlies and, and podcasts out there, but um, I, you're not going to see debates like this one on there. Yeah. I just want to say one thing, like, for me, I came to Memphis as a complete – and this is going to sound really emotional and sappy, but Go for it's it. worth talking about. We're over an hour in. It's fine. Yeah. So – and no one's going no to listen to this. So it's really just for you, King, unless you cook okay. this into a short. You know, I came to Memphis in a, in a weird time in my life, and I think it's a place that is, is just – an amazing, truly amazing place. And I think there's no better way to learn a community than to teach in a community. It's a place that, you know, has gone through a lot, but is so welcoming. And it's so, there's not, I've, I've never seen a city so connected to a team than the Grizzlies. And I think that's, it, it doesn't just reflect our love of the Grizzlies. You love the Grizzlies forever. I'm more of a new fan or, or person who covers it. I think this podcast is more of like our love letter to Memphis in general. I think we both grew a lot. Um, you know, you got married in yeah. in that time and living with Memphis in, in Memphis, you know, I, I had unparalleled professional success, I guess. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> like professional love of what I was doing. So you did, I think, you know, Memphis defines a really, really happy time in our lives. And it, it defines, you know, a, a city that we both love. And, and I think that's a reflection in how we cover the team as well. So yeah. just a thought, just something I was thinking about. I will be clipping that into the short because that was beautifully said. And uh, yeah. I appreciate you, man. That's, Memphis is a special place. And even though neither of us live there, we both miss it. And we're going to yeah. continue to bring you great Grizzlies takes, Royal Grizzlies takes, um, because we're not letting go of that part of the city. Um, and neither should you. But 
before you go, as Karna said, we would really appreciate if you like and subscribe on YouTube. And if you're listening to this as just an audio podcast, please give us a five-star review and nice comment. We're available anywhere you can find a fine podcast. And it takes 30 seconds, but means the world. Most of all, we would love you to tell any Grizzlies fans and really any NBA fans about the most regal Memphis Grizzlies podcast in all the realm. Word of mouth does more than anything. And nowhere else will you get these smoking hot royal decrees, hard-hitting analysis and reaction and news of the realm and fun and lively debate in the King's Court, and we'll have more for you next week. So thanks so much for listening, and have a fantastic week. Go Grizz.